We're about to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, brought to you by the fine folks over at, where else? Geekinthecity.com. If you enjoy this show, and I think you do, the best way to help us out is just spread the word. Uh, tell everybody that you enjoy listening to Geek in the City Radio on whatever social media platform you use, as well as giving us a five-star review on sites like iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or iHeartRadio. Those reviews go much farther than you would ever imagine in helping us climb the metrics, which uh, just gets us more listeners, which just makes us a bigger and more nerdier family for everyone to enjoy, which we're going to do right now with an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Stuff that makes you scream and shout. Hit the red alert. We're going more back to 12. Thanks for pressing play. Now we're gonna save the day. Alright. Why hello and welcome to issue 633 of Geek in the City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Vinarita. And I am your other other host, Cable Hashitani. And we are joined this week uh, by author, creator, teacher, David Bowles out of Texas, yes? Yes. Hola, David. Deep South Texas. Hola, de- ¿cómo estás? <laughs> the, the deepest part of South Texas. <laughs> the, the deepest part? Yeah, literally you can't go any deeper without it being Mexico. That's, that's how deep it is. <laughs> go on. So the part of Texas yeah, that has flavor? Yeah, exactly. That where there's actually some spice. Yeah, the, um, where I live, um, it's five minutes from the from the border. Wow, there's a, there's a cat tail. It's really there's amazing. always cat. You're going to have at least two cats on this show, most likely. Yeah, mm-hmm. one of mine is lurking around here, so she may suddenly decide to to put her face in the screen. So perfectly acceptable. That's sure. the best. If you're going to get cat in your face, that's the bend you want. So. Mm, indeed, true. but it's seldom the one you do get, right? Isn't that you true? don't get a choice? That's that's the uh, the yeah. gift of the curse yeah. of cats. <laughs> like, yay, cats. As is oh, yes, is being cats. demonstrated like very clearly right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> anyway, enough about cat butts. <laughs> I mean, I'm well, sure I'm it's excited to be here with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> cat yeah, butts so... are are omnipresent. Mm-hmm. So a, a, a quick little background in case you're wondering, like, why is this like, God damn it, I messed up the ticker. Never mind. We'll keep moving on. It has the wrong number, but it has all the information. Doesn't matter. Aww. If people are like, uh, you know, where did you guys find, you know, this guy, David? And a little backstory is I met David in 2018, I believe, right. at the uh, yep. Mexiconics Initiative in, that was San Jose, right? No, that's for Worldcon in San Jose. That's right. Yeah, yeah. for Worldcon at San Jose, um, uh, we were brought together, and he and I connected pretty well. And uh, I enjoy had a good time talking with him. He gave me a lot of insights into Mexican American and Mexican folklore. Uh, he was talking about a lot of the stuff that I was writing about and didn't realize was kind of a big deal. And Dave was like, "No, it's a big deal. You need to quit downplaying <laughs> your shit, Aaron." Yeah. Yep. 
Um, that sounds like a familiar, a familiar sentiment. Shut your mouth, Cable. Um, no. Uh, and since then, I've stayed in contact with David. Uh, he is a teacher. He is a writer. And for me personally, uh, is an all-around inspiration that I draw upon uh, on a constant basis. So I'm really honored to have him on the show this week. Uh, thanks, thanks. It's a, it's a lot of fun to be here. Yeah. In addition to what he does, he's also launching a new fictional horror podcast called The Obsidian Codex, which when I first saw the quick post uh, to, to, to the average listener, I kind of read it as like, oh, cosmic horror, but through pre-colonial Mexico. Yeah, so certainly. I was like, there, oh shit, a, I'm a in. Bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely um, somewhere in that space between cosmic weird horror and folk horror. Um, it, it's this notion. Uh, the The basic premise is there is an anthropologist uh, living in Austin who teaches at, at the University of Texas. The name is Robert Kerr. He's Mexican American with some um, also like Scottish roots. <clears throat> maybe quasi autobiographical um <laughs> and, and um he his he's in a, a really kind of dark place in his life most of his uh, family is dead he's in mexico uh burying his grandmother one of his last remaining relatives he's his wife has divorced him and is living in boston uh, remarried with their two sons and he's just in this really really um strange place where he's trying to stave off uh, grief and loneliness and just uh, so like an identity crisis um, by throwing himself into a translation project, which is, you know, the kind of sort of what I do translating from Nahuatl, an indigenous language that um, is spoken today by, you know, one and a half million people in Mexico and Central America, but that was the language of the Aztec empire. Um, and so, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of colonial era texts that we have that are written in Roman script are written in Nahuatl because it was you know, like the lingua franca of the time. And mm. um, as an expert in this, this, this is what he's doing. He's translating the Florentine codex um, into, into English, um, into like a like robuster, more uh, modern English. And, and that's been eating up all of his time. But um, when he's burying his, his grandmother, he's approached by this like, mysterious priest who hints that his grandfather, who's a renowned um, archaeologist who died like 10 years before the, the podcast opens, um, had a couple secret journals in which he had transcribed something called the Obsidian Codex. And that, um, and it kind of like this launches Robert on this search for this apparently very dangerous uh, uh, piece of ancient knowledge that has been hidden away from the world. Um, and you know, that has in it, like the key to causing the end of the world. And, you know, you, you know, this from, from research that you've done, Aaron, um, <laughs> right. and, and being a reader, you may know this as well, that, you know, the Aztecs believed in the cyclical nature of the world, that we were on the fifth age, the fifth sun. Um, and that eventually this one, which is, um, you know, the sun of movement will come to an end because of earthquakes and other types of destruction. And then a new world will emerge with new humanity and so forth. And the idea is that, that this obsidian codex can bring that about, that there's a, yeah. and a right in it that can do that. So um, it's well, going to be a lot of freaky shit. <laughs> well, what's fascinating is that, uh, especially when it comes to that kind of mythology, like from my reading and correct me if I'm wrong, David, like, that ancient culture doesn't have a hard, doesn't have like a Ragnarok, not a like a hard fast end. 
because it's cyclical. It's like, right. this will happen, but something's coming after it. Exactly. And there may be remnants that survive because the idea was in each one of those destructive cycles, like a small remnant was is, is saved by Quetzalcoatl, uh, Quetzalcoatl, <laughs> and uh, allowed to survive into the next age. That's why there are giants, because the first group of humans were a lot bigger than us. He saves a remnant. They come, they carry forward into time, and they're the giants. And the next one, um, they're saved by being turned into kind of like simian creatures that can like, because the world is destroyed by wind, and they can hang on to trees and things with their prehensile tails. And this is where we get like these kind of like missing link type of creatures that are somewhat like humans, but clearly more uh, ape like. And then um, the then there's the the fourth the third age was destroyed by fire. Some humans are survived by being turned into like like um, like humanoid bird creatures, which is where we get like harpies and other kinds of things. And then the fourth age is destroyed by a flood, and some humans are saved by being turned into like um into like merfolk um into sirens and tritons and stuff like that so in aztec mythology there's this idea that like these you know like humanoid cryptid kind of creatures are remnants of the previous one so one imagines that there will be a remnant of humans as well you know who knows will get chosen to survive the apocalypse but the apocalypse is coming according to aztec lore at some point um (laughs) <laughs> and we will all be wiped off the and gods will be like, okay, let's try to get the shit right this time <laughs> because it's not been going well. It's we, we keep just, screwing this up. Yeah. Humans are trash. Yeah. I yeah. thought that we had the apocalypse in 2012. I mean, a bunch of people threw parties, um, and and yeah, I, I thought that we were in the new cycle and we were just messing it up again already. Yeah. Yeah, well, see there that this is like the Maya um, calendar, and and of course the Maya didn't necessarily believe that that was an apocalyptic moment. It was just like, it was just a signal of a new millennium beginning. And and we just, you know, Westerners or people that, that just don't understand it well enough, assumed that, that that was something apocalyptic. And I can you know, almost imagine the ancient Maya kind of like rolling their eyes at us like, no, dude, it's just like when you went from 1999 to 2000 or 2001, depending on like what camp you're in. Right. Um it's just a new millennium. Please quit making such a big deal about it. But yeah. <laughs> I, I remember at the time, right around 2012, I actually was a producer on a paranormal radio show. So you can imagine what we were dealing leading up to this. And like every guest that the host, I was a producer, every guest that the, the host wanted was talking about the end times are coming, you know, be ready, you know, ancient powers, blah, blah, blah. And I kept saying like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And he was like, what the Maya? I'm like, that's not going to happen. Like, that's not what the Maya said. It's just a, it's just the circle's circle. complete. Yeah. And, and here's the next circle. circle. It's just a yeah. new circle even, starting, be, man. Because the Maya, the Maya also, in, in, you know, classical Maya culture, there was still, uh, all they thought we were on the fourth age of the world and they believed this age would end and there would be another one as well. But that's not what their calendar was talking about. They're like, we don't know when the world's going to end. We can't predict that. It's whenever the gods finally just have enough. And they're like, screw these guys, right? Uh, but we do keep track of time. And we're about to start like a new a new era. And so everything sets to zero. And it looks all scary and weird. But it's like it's like Y2K all over again. It's like mm-hmm. y'all are just getting a little freaked out about nothing. Um, actually, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the idea that the, the world can actually end is really fascinating. And of course, 
you know, the Nawa peoples that, that we normally refer to as as the Aztecs, Aztec is a really bad term, but like everybody knows them that way. The people mm-hmm. that we're referring to when we say Aztec are like three different Nawa groups that were like the co leaders of the of the Triple Alliance. They were the, the the Mexica, which were the most powerful ones, and then there were the Tepaneca and the Akolwa. And those three groups of Nawas um of Nahua people like ha- like ruled for you know more than a century there in, in central Mexico. But they all believed in these um beings called the Sitsimime. And the Sitsimime are it's often translated to star demons, like really ferocious goddesses that have kind of been like locked away in this prison, um, that are ready to pop out and devour the stars and the sun and wreak havoc on the earth and it sounds uh, so all they need ass. is somebody just to, yeah. All they need is somebody to like, you know, just Open up the, the their cage and they'll they're they're coming they're you know and that's why when an eclipse would happen people would be like oh shit the Sitsimimi have started eating the sun this is not fucking good <laughs> and yeah and then like oh okay Phew. the priest would do something you know maybe somebody would be sacrificed the eclipse would end and they'd be like okay Phew, we were saved man we were that was so close um, I kind of love the idea that every time there's an eclipse the entire culture goes dodge that bullet <laughs> whoo. They're like now, shh, the Earth could have just been, yeah, bad. You know, it's really funny. Think about that 2012 thing. I'll tell you something that, that just popped into my head. Um, the following year, like 2013, like I say, uh, like I was telling you guys, I live on the border with Mexico. I've lived here my entire life in what's called the Rio Grande Valley, which is like this four county area at the very tip of Texas, where it tapers to a tip at its tail. Um, and so I'm, you know, I have family across the border of Mexico. It's, these are transnational communities. I spent a lot of time over there. And I remember I was at a pharmacy in Mexico not long after, you know, all this stuff had like kind of fizzled out. And there was that, you know, the, the, the Aztec sunstone up on the wall that everybody calls like the Aztec calendar. And like nobody actually knows what it is. It's not a calendar at all. It's something totally different. Um, and um, there were – I was buying – I can't remember what medicine I was buying. And there were a couple of uh, – tourists there um winter texans we call them like people who who spend their winters <laughs> down here in south texas um and they were like how much does that cost and the the, the pharmacist because they sell curios and stuff and and, and he was like mm, you can have it for 50 dollars and they're like oh wow it's so inexpensive it's such a beautiful like piece of stone he was, why and, and and i told him in spanish Por qué les está cobrando tan poquito? Why are you charging them so little? And he's like, "Oh, it's because it's already out of date." Yes, it means you. Yes, it, yes, it And I'm like, "Oh no!" So it's, it's like, like when the you buy it, done. Like, it's like it's like selling last year's calendar. It's like, "Oh, it's already past 2012." The it's like, "Oh, we're just selling it for the pictures now. It means nothing." I was just like, "Oh my god!" And I just like hilarious. you know, I didn't say anything because like, what do you say? You're not going to get into a huge scholarly explanation of how like yeah. totally wrong he is and how they're well, completely different cultures and whatever you're like yeah just sell it to the old white people for 50 bucks yeah yeah let the, let the pharmacist make his uh, make his dollars yeah i guarantee he didn't pay 50 bucks for it yeah no exactly he was making a profit on it i don't know how much but good for something. him um and and that makes me think a little bit about you know about what this because the show is you know a horror podcast um and it's 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 me. I'm playing Robert Kerr, and most of it is just we're hearing his field notes as he's looking for and thinking about and translating and grappling with the, this uh, this text and and all the crazy stuff that happens to him. 
but also it's a meditation on identity and loss, despair, and the consequences of cultural appropriation. Because you know, the this this text has been passed orally for so long, it wasn't ever meant to be transcribed or even recorded as it, like because his grandfather recorded it on a reel to reel in the sixties and then transcribed it. Um, it was never meant. It was supposed to be kept in the minds of the the guardians of the Obsidian Codex, the keepers of the Obsidian Codex are called, um, and just kept away, like knowledge that Quetzalcoatl left um, in the hands of these people when he when he when his reincarnation left the Earth a thousand years ago. Um, and so, you know, it's also because Aaron, I know you and I talk about this all the time. Like we're Mexican American. We're dealing, you know, we infuse our work with like Mesoamerican things. Mm-hmm. And there's there are times when both of us sometimes have felt like, do I have a right to do this? You know, I'm Mexican American, yeah. but like I'm not like as far as I know, like a direct descendant of the Mexica or anything to yeah. you know Well I've actually and I've actually um, I've had late night conversations with Denise there about like, do I have the right to tell the story? And then she tells me to shut yeah. up and write it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you know, well, there are like multiple reasons, but one thing that pops into mind that I was talking to my wife about today because we were kind of poking fun at people who call themselves neo Mexica and who are like, yeah, we're Mexica and you know, whatever to each to each their own. But like literally, the Mexica were annihilated when when because Cortez was and his men were driven out of the city in 1520. When they came back in 1521, the city had been decimated. Tenochtitlan, I mean, had been decimated by smallpox. There was hardly any you know, like hardly any like able-bodied warriors still left and then they put up with the siege for three months over the summer um and the the Tlaxcalteca and their spanish um allies raised the city to the ground like there was essentially no building standing except for in the sacred precinct where you had like pyramids that are not easily torn down right? right but like it was flattened and nearly every person was killed like a handful of people were allowed to escape into the when Cuauhtémoc, the, the last emperor finally surrendered they were allowed to escape but like people going around going oh i'm descended from the mexica it's like yeah no you're fucking not you're the likelihood of you being descended from the mexica is like so infinitesimally small you might be descended from other nawas who were right. under the aztec empire but you're not like an a, a, a aztec warriors you know great 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 grandson it's very very unlikely that you are um right. and so but there's like a cultural heritage i think aaron that because of how big the Aztec Empire was and how it was from sea to sea and they had come their their poch their pochteca, their um kind of like uh mercenary merchants had gone as far north as like Arizona and New Mexico and South Texas and as far south as Central America and, and Nahuatl was like the lingua franca and their their state religion was practiced everywhere. That there's mm-hmm. an arg- there's an argument to be made that Mexican Americans are the cultural heirs of all of that. Because our ancestors, it's like, it's kind of entwined. When we think about our legends and our cuisine and all stuff, there are like all these, you know, imprints of of what was there at the time of the Spanish invasion. And so it's a tricky thing. And everybody's got to grapple with it their own way. And, and so I wanted to use this fictional character as kind of like a stand-in for me, like a really asshole version of myself, a really um, extreme jackass academic snob kind of version of myself. Um, to explore those things and to, to like an alternate universe, David, you know, if I had, if I was doing things differently and had a different right. attitude about it, like, um, and, and, and I, it's healthy, I think it's, um, I just it literally just read on Twitter, um, somebody 
put a tweet out saying, I wish that more men uh, would go to therapy and uh, rather than starting podcasts. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I think that, oh, shit, being a reader gets God it. damn it. Like, it's, that's what we're doing. We're starting, Aaron. This is this is our psycho therapy. This is our therapy, right? Here's the thing. I started this pod. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Dean. No, go. You weren't here last week, David, but uh, Aaron and I both were like off our game and just sort of like not with it and uh, like easily distracted. Uh, And we made a joke that we've made multiple times: is that like cable today is your turn to you know like be our therapist. Because you're 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 feeling fine, or you seem like you're feeling fine, and the rest right. of us are just like, what's what's going on? We're just trash. Yeah. And then maybe some other on some other episodes, it's Cable's time to get therapy from the two of y'all, right? Yes. Oh, he's yeah, like no. less often. Look at the look on his face. He's like, yeah, that happens less often, David. Yeah. It's no, uh, Cable's really good at hiding things. <laughs> I, I refer to he it has- as suppression. Aaron. <laughs> That's the technical term, sir. Yes. And I used to be better at it, but I've been hanging around Aaron too much. So Yeah, I draw out the Aaron energy. just like lets it all hang out. He's just like, get that out there. Aaron lives in his fields and, and you know. Aaron does live in his fields for sure. And he pulls he pulls Beanerita in and he tries to pull cable in, but cable's like, No. Not having any of this. Not exactly, but not exactly. Cable is the Cable is my angry voice. When I want to be angry, I let Cable express it. Yeah. Me parece muy bien. That's awesome. Um, uh, Listener Norm from Texas uh, says, we are all trash pandas down here. So you have a fellow Texan in the chat right now. He's from Longview, which is nowhere near where you live. No. Right? No. But Norm's good people. You will enjoy being around Norm. He's a good guy. Um, <laughs> what made you want to go down the horror route with this? Because I, well, so for those who those who don't know, I've I have read and supported a lot of David's books, like they call me Guerrero. Like a lot of your novels and short stories are very positive, supportive, and yeah, not horrific. I mean, most, and now you're like, fuck yeah. it, I'm going for horror. Yeah. Well, I mean, so um. Yeah, I mean, this is a good time to talk about, like, the two different sides of this two-faced creature, David Bowles. Um, so, yeah, most of my, like, young adults and middle grade and, and children's work is, is like, definitely more positive. And it'll mm-hmm. have dark elements in it, um, but there's, you know, there's always, like, the sense of victory and stuff like that. But Well, um, I, I feel like it's almost impossible to tell Mexican-American myths and legends without having some darkness in it like well, it's just yeah, exactly there's going to be darkness in it like even in they call me bueno you know there are like like these little hints of it in the sequel that's coming out from penguin random house um this fall um they call her fregona um we, <laughs> we get to see a lot more yeah i knew <laughs> being a reader's like oh a book about me all right <laughs> for those listeners who don't know fregona is like um mexican spanish slang for like kind of like well it's like a euphemistic version of another one another word but yeah. it means like badass like a, a female badass a woman that's her really cool tough be right up there with uh chingona is the one that i grew yeah. up with chingona is definitely the 
the word for which I had to search for a euphemism since it's middle grade, right? Uh, Is it weird yeah. that my family <laughs> called me that as growing up? Chingon? No, chingona, chingona, which is really weird. They called you chingona. Yeah. I'm that's, pretty sure my family weird. knew more about it, me it, than I did. It's weird because it, it is a word that yeah, I know. alternates. Yeah. I, I can't answer that for you. Yeah. That, it's a whole other thing we don't have time to dive into with my family and me. Whew. That's the off-air you know, it's, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can, I mean, families do lots of weird stuff and, um, you know, I, I'm a queer Mexican American and I remember when I started realizing that about myself as a teenager, how like worried I was that my uncles would find out and like, like, like what would happen to me first of all, and then like yep. the shit that I would catch and all the nicknames that I would get. And so, yep. yeah, um, we can, you know, our relatives can sometimes be yeah. both kind and brutal at the same time like they're being sweet but they're also like just jabbing it in right oh, only mexican americans so, yeah, yeah. have terms of endearment that are horrible insults oh yeah yeah gordo feo feito i um, didn't know that gordo was an insult until i was like 20 years old <laughs> you're like it's just gordo just like i'm just it's, i'm it's gordo like, it's, like, it's like it's like being called gordon it's like gordo what <laughs> No, like, I no, finally had Aaron, a prematurely like it's going. because you're the fat one growing up. I'm like, what? And then like and if you, you're the dark skinned you... one, you're you're Prieto or Moreno, Negro. Or, or just like, Negro. Negro yeah. is yeah, just the plano. Just yeah. I, I literally have a brother. Uh, my half brother is is like half black. He's Afro Mexicano. And so but I, ironically no one dared to call him Negro because he like it's it just felt gross because it's not like he was dark complected. He literally was, you know, you know, Afro Mexicano. So the, the, that's at least my family didn't go take that step. That would have been gross. Yeah, I, um, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to go into so, other things my family's done. Anyway, David, continue. <laughs> I was so yeah. So like before I went off on this um, like writing for young people, I you know I had aspired to be like you know a, a fiction writer for adults, and I had written lots of short stories. And this podcast literally um, derives from some short stories that were published in my book, Chupacabra Vengeance, which is a collection of adult science fiction, fantasy, and horror uh, short stories that came out in 2016. Um, so that's what I'm mining. And I, I just love horror. I have since I was a kid. Um, the, the scary stories that I was told by my, my, my abuela were like the things that kind of like opened me up to wanting to read scary stuff in books and to watching scary media and so forth. Um, so yeah, you know, as Aaron has intimated, you know, you, it's really hard to grow up with Mexican American folklore and not kind of like have something dark in, um, in the work that you do. And so this is definitely me exploring that more. And, um, I also, you know, there's, there's been like kind of like a boom in recent years and like cosmic and weird and folk horror, um, horror that's about, mm, the clash of modernity with um, older ways and 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 uh, the kind of flattening uh, homogenous way of being of of the present day with the very like geographically and culturally specific way of being of the past um, and and so I'm, I'm having fun playing around with that in this series as well and so if it if it ends up I there I have multiple series plans out the the, the second series actually won't feature 
me as the the main voice talent it, it'll be my my daughter um loba she'll be doing the and, and it'll, it's going to go back in time to 1975 and it's huh. a graduate student from uh ut and austin um going to mexico to try to find um the the recordings of the obsidian codex that are referenced in this season and so like i want to jump back and forth i'm, I'm really i'm in, i've been inspired in the creation of this by arc um Archive eighty one is that what it's called? Right, this that um, that just came out on um, Netflix. I don't know if you guys have have had a chance to see. Is it eighty one or thirty one or archive? It, I know it's you're talking 80, about it. archive eighty one. Eighty one. Okay. I, I really really yet, recommend it. it yeah. yeah, yeah. It's based on a podcast turned into a uh-huh. TV show. The TV show is frankly better than the podcast, in my opinion. Um, but it just felt like it was the right thing. moment. <laughs> um, it is because I, I listened to the first season of the podcast driving back from Austin last week and it's good, but the TV series is just like, wow, it's really, really good. And watching it, I was like, yes, it's time. Cause I've been kind of playing around with the idea um, of doing it. I, I wanted to kind of stretch my wings. I'm a musician. I've done a lot of like sound design for like indie music that I've produced. And I was like, let me do this. Um, I've, I recently did an audiobook version um of a book that I translated that just won an award from the American Library Association, oh, the Sea Ring World. Yeah, the Sea Ring World, uh, Sacred Stories of the Americas, won the translate one of the translation awards from the American Library Association. So, um, uh, and I did the audiobook version. Of that it was such such a pleasure. And I've always been told you have such a voice. You have a perfect voice for radio and this other thing. Um, it's a I was good like, NPR voice. I will say that. Yeah, and so I'm I'm having a lot of fun playing this character and and doing like acting which is something i haven't really done before um and it, other than just like goofing off whatever uh, i think people will really like it the first two episodes are dropping on february 14th um which may seem like an odd choice but february 14th in addition to being like valentine's day is also the beginning of a new um sacred year in the mesoamerican calendar so the mesoamerican calendar has two years it has the solar year which is a 360 uh, day year with you know with floating five to seven um additional days kind of tacked on uh mm-hmm. until the until the spring equinox comes i mean the right yeah and then yeah the sake the sacred year is um 260 days um and it floats and every 52 years they align and so it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting thing so since the sacred year begins i thought it would be an auspicious time to start playing around with the old gods and, and, and rights yeah. to call them and open up the, the cage in which the Sitsimime are imprisoned. And, you know, if I can help. Man, every time I, t- every time I no. talk to you, whether it's Twitter or this show, I fucking learn something new. God, you know, <laughs> thank you. I, like, I, 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 I feel like, I feel like there's gonna be a David Bowles newsletter where like every few days is like, here's your fact. You didn't realize. And I'll be like, God damn it. Yeah. I would subscribe to that. Yeah, one hundred percent. This sounds sounds like a really cool idea. I mean, you know that I do all those those medium articles, and I'm always you know putting stuff out on Twitter. I, I love. I, I I'm a geek. I'm excited about the stuff that I learn. I think there's that the best type of scholarship is the kind of scholarship that can be conveyed in a geeky way to people and get them excited and curious about it as well. I hate scholarship that's hermetic. And, and locks away knowledge from the public eye. And so I see my playing around with fiction as a way to to impart like knowledge that 
you know, that people are just un- are unaware of, that scholars have known for hundreds of years, but that normal people don't because no one mm. takes the time to right. create any kind of like viable entertainment out of it or, or just to tell it in a fun way. You know, um, I'm about to retire at the end of this year from teaching. I've been teaching since I was in my twenties and I'm, I'm turning 52 and, and, uh, on the 17th, um, and, in Texas, we have a great tech teacher retirement system that incredibly enough, the Republicans have not destroyed yet. So I, st- <laughs> uh, it's just amazing. They've destroyed everything now. else in this freaking state. Yeah. I'm going to get it now, right before it's mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. Um, and it'll allow me to, to dedicate more time to my already like, like ridiculously prolific writing career. But yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. want to be able to do that all the time now so yeah. well and i i love what you're creating because i feel like well i send you many late night twitter messages but i feel <laughs> like a month ago i might have been a little bit into my cups shocking and i was watching <laughs> thor ragnarok and you know where this is oh, going yeah. it was like 1 a.m watching yeah. thor ragnarok which i love that movie's wonderful with all the mythology worked into the sci-fi epic and it was like 1 a.m and i send david this twitter private message being like god damn it like and i admitted like i've drank a lot tonight but hear me out like yeah like our our culture and our background has all these fucking badass over the top horrific adventurous amazing myths i don't want to take away from like european stuff i just want to make cool movies and stories about what we do because it's all fucking cool and he was like right with you brother yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, and we, and that's why, like, the things that we're doing with like Chispa Comics, which we will be working oh, with you right. as well, and yeah, and like all these other endeavors that I'm involved in, I've got a historical, a novel of historical fiction coming out later this year called The Prince and the Coyote, which is about again a, a really like a, essentially unknown figure in the U.S. and throughout the world, and that's Nezahualcoyotl, who when he was a teenager went on the run from the Tepaneca Empire survived with an imperial army hunting him down because his father was the king of Texcoco and like the overlord of the of a Colhuacan, which is was kind of like an empire of the Kowa people um survived managed just to like to find allies and 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 gather resources and then together with his uncles who were the leaders of the Mexica and Tenochtitlan overthrow the Tepaneca empire and establish the Aztec empire. And like, and he was a poet and an engineer. He created the dike that all like that went for miles and miles and miles down the middle of Lake Texcoco, separating the briny water of the Eastern side from the fresh water of the Western side. He created like the freaking causeways that everybody thinks about Tenochtitlan with their wooden bridges. He and I are both like, what the fuck? I him and it's just like the very first thing that comes up. Nezahualcoyotl. I'm going to mess it up. Nezahualcoyotl yes. was scholar, philosopher, warrior, architect, poet, yeah. and ruler. Yeah, he was just like an incredible. Probably one of the. I I would make an argument that he was the most brilliant Mesoamerican, most brilliant indigenous person of the Americas that we know. That, that because right. obviously there there may have been more brilliant people than him that just didn't leave their mark. His face just, is literally on the hundred peso bill in Mexico. One of his poems is on the back of the, the of the bill. Uh, I've translated a lot of his poetry from novel to, into English. He is an amazing human being who trans. When he became the leader of Tetsuko, he transformed it into essentially like a Camelot. It was like a cultural paradise, um, wow. and just an amazing, amazing person with so much knowledge. 
And just, so I'm I'm writing book a book about his. I've written a book about his teenage years, uh, because I I want people to know about all this incredible stuff. I want Mexicans and Mexican Americans to know, but I want other people to know about our heritage because people just don't you know. They just think about the Aztecs and like, oh, all bloodthirsty savages that rip people's hearts out or whatever. Like, oh my God! You know, I'm, uh, there's a long story yeah. about my. There's a long story way back in the podcast days. Myself, my friend Keelan King, he's an African American man. We were at a party, and I overheard these. Uh, Bean knows this story. I overheard these people in this room. They were all like white people, and they were talking about how, as much as the slaughter of the indigenous people was bad, um, it might have been good in the long run because the Aztecs and their people had an insatiable bloodlust that were it not for the Spanish conquistadors, they would have turned on themselves. And I'm there with my friend Keelan, who's African American. He looks at me and he's like, how's that insatiable bloodlust? I'm like, well, you know, I may have to walk in there, take my shoes off and just start doing some murder. And he's like, yeah, that's what happens to us. The thing the white man seems like prime candidates for sacrifice right there. Yeah. All right. It's just an ongoing joke with knife. It's an yes. ongoing uh, joke with my with my friend and I when he's like, "How's that bloodlust?" I'm like, "Oh, it's coming." <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, it, and people just need to know, by the way, that that's ahistorical, and it was something that was blown out of proportion by um, by Cortez because he needed to justify his illegal actions. He was going to be executed, um, and he needed to prove to the to the king that there was a reason for him to do what he did. And so, yeah. um, that's really yeah. what I like to point out. That's the like, colonizer oh, playbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I do yep. love to point out, when Cortez showed up, everyone's like, well, they didn't know who he was. They thought he was a god. They didn't understand him. Like, look, bitch, like, the Aztec, like, their capital was an island. They knew how boats worked. Like, when they showed up on ships, it wasn't like, oh, how is this white man floating on water? Like, they knew no. how that worked. Yeah. Like, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for disease, we could That's, be having yeah, a completely disease. different discussion. It was also not the Spanish that really did this. Um, there were 40 Spaniards. Mm-hmm. It was the Tlaxcalteca who were another Nahua group that were like the mortal enemies of the Mexica and had been at odds with them for more than 100 years yep. who were like, oh, you guys have some tools that we don't have. Let's team up and fuck these dudes up. And that's Oh, and you don't like yeah. them. Oh, nice. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, for the longest time afterwards, the Tlaxcalteca were given – you know, a really uh, elevated status. They were given titles. They were allowed to ride horses. And, you know, they, they converted to Catholicism. And the, the, for a while, they were like the enforcers of the crown for about 100 years. They were sent all over what's now Mexico. Mm. Um, down, like the area where I live um, was like partly settled by Tlaxcateca families. First, they uh, created a community next to Saltillo in, in the state of Coahuila to, to deal with the Comanches. Um, in in the in the fifteen fifties or so, and then All a the couple way up hundred to the years Comanches. later, that seems pretty far north. Oh yeah, it is north. I mean, Coahuila. This is like just you know, we're talking really close to what's the U.S. And then mm-hmm. in seventeen forty nine, um, a, a dozen Tlaxcalteca uh, families and a, and a dozen or so um, mestizo families from that area came to this area and founded Laredo. And Reynosa and all these bordered towns that my family has come from. So, yeah, the you know the Tlaxcateca, the, the the story of the the conquest is really a story of a, of an internal um, battle among Nahua nations, and not so much like it's just the Spanish taking advantage of the situation. But yeah, I mean, um, 
By the way, I want to say hi to Alberto Chimal, who I, I saw tweeted a little while ago. I saw um, Alberto and... tweet it, yeah. Uh, and on the, uh, I think on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, Hector also. Oh, every, cool, every, cool. Hey. Everyone's, everyone's uh, culinary abuelita, you know. Yes. Oh, my God. Such a great cook. Oh God, God, I love Hector to death. I, 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 next time I'm in Austin, I'm going to, like, hit him up. I've been leaving him alone because he's, you know, engaged and all stuff. But um, I'm going to eventually hit him up and make him cook me some more food. Um, yeah, Denise, somebody asked. Denise, Denise has had interactions with him, too, online now. And I've had some of his food because he was part of the Hangouts yeah. initiative. I also found out that he is friends with a friend of the show. Hmm. Uh, he is friends with Jen Van Meter, who is Greg Rucka's wife, hmm. which yeah. I had no idea. I was talking about, I was like, oh, man, I knew this guy from the Hikonics Initiative. He's this wonderful human and this great cook. And she went. Is his name Hector? I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> so yeah, we his have that fame in is widespread. Yeah, yeah. And just uh, just one final thing before you guys um, have to move on to your next guest. But somebody asked like a little more detail about the way the podcast is. He's relating usually towards the end of the day, the the happenings of the day. But uh, but as he's relating them, things are happening to him. So you you get like a mixture of his notes about things that have happened today the and then the crazy shit that's happening to him at the moment or like phone calls that intervene or people that come to the door or whatever. And I have a, a couple of people are helping me out with some of that. And so it is definitely, it's like a, a, a blend of those two things. It's not like a, everything's happening in the moment, but he's like, he's recording, you know, like just voice memos. Um, and as he's recording them, you know, whatever happens in his house uh, gets picked up in the podcast. So, huh. Nice. People, I think people are going to enjoy it. I, I'm super excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first cool. heard back. about the podcast you're doing, it's funny. My mind immediately went to another podcast. I think it's called like Monsters or Ghosts of Appalachia. Old Gods of Appalachia? Old Gods of Appalachia. The whole idea being like, look, the Rocky Mountains, the Himalayas, they're big, tall mountains. But the Appalachian Mountains, they're old. They're run ancient. down. Ancient. There are so many powers at work. Which made me think of you know, what you're working on, like, no, these are, yeah. these are entities that have been around so much longer than you could possibly fathom. Yeah. And don't have human desires at all. And like, you can't like, you can't uh, satiate whatever kind of bizarre appetites they might have with, no. with whatever worship might work for like a, a more um, Western you know, Christian yeah. kind of deity. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shit on like the Roman or Greek gods, but they're basically a soap opera. They're, they're just people <laughs> with foibles yeah. and desires and personal interests and, you know, like petty backstabbing. They're people. I, I think they're, they're they people. say a lot more about the uh, Romans and the Greek Greeks yeah. of that time period than they do anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, Edelin, who goes by Gutter Bruja, she just wanted to comment. I would love to sit at his feet and listen to basically anything he says, as long as it's just tell me. As long stuff. as he tell me stuff, yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, David, you I, are a natural born teacher. Yeah, I, I sometimes I, I think um, when I like are getting really cool ideas, I'm like, when you know how you can like just open one of those Twitter like what are they called um, like where you're just talking. I sometimes mm-hmm. feel like just if, like ideas are rolling through my head. I'm like, I should just like open this thing in Twitter and just start like babbling at people and see how long and how many people will come in and listen to me. Because I, I mean, I follow like, it every time you do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. When I'm like tweeting, but I mean like talking out loud, it would kind of be cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So uh, uh, I can tell you that because of how um, 
prolific I am, that at least in in some way I will continue to pour out my ideas into the world and and hopefully be, the people will find enjoyment in them. And I I, I was going to ask like how long you foresee Obsidian Codex going? Is it does it have a finite or infinite ending? Or, no, or, it has a finite. Fin- I mean, I've, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I I do have like a definite like arc that I want, would complete like in like in six seasons if I'm able to pull it oh, off. Oh, that's... Yeah, I can. I, I can, yeah, no. I've, I've going back and forth in time. I know how I want things to wrap up and 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 so forth. And 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 there are ways of truncating that down into four um, seasons by cutting off like things that are a little extraneous to the main storyline. But yeah, nice. And it won't just. It's but every single season would like focus on a different protagonist. So the trick is mm. like I can do a couple of those seasons. Um, but like I have to bring in other people, and so I've already li- lined up. Um, it basically just like making my children, who are adults now and very talented um, creators, uh, on their own. Uh, right. I've like, seen your daughter's art; she's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my daughter, my middle daughter Charlene, is a graphic novelist who has worked with me on the, who who works with me on this ongoing series series called the um, Tales of the Feathered Serpent. Um, and then my oldest daughter is a tattoo artist and painter and. Just all around an incredible artist, Loba. Um, she's yeah, just really amazing. So, um, and my son is also uh, who's in college at at Austin right now is also a great artist. So I'm just, I can't draw my way out of a paper sack. All three of my kids are amazing. <laughs> Neither can I. I so, yeah, what a I talented yeah. family. Yeah, they get they get Very that from their mom. Family. She's like, really creative with with like artistic things. So I would, I'm just going to use them all. Um, my, <laughs> my oldest daughter's, um, her, her partner is a great musician and I'm going to use his talents to help me with a musical score. Just like, uh, yeah, just basically. Denise, you know nothing like, about that. About being used? No, about having a musical partner that she can use. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. my, uh, my husband is in a band and, and well, they use us too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. We're all scratching each other's backs. Right? We're all artistic parasites. No, no, it's symbiotic. I, it's symbiotic. Symbiotic. Thank there you. you. I like that. That's better. Well, David, like, if you ever, if you ever need like three, if you ever need three additional voice actors, I mean, just saying. Ooh, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, this is, most yeah. Of, most of us have voice performing performing experience. Credits, Obviously, too, it's actually, not me because yeah. I can't talk today. You're like most of us hilarious. talk good. One of us don't. Okay. Me, me, no, be the person. <laughs> <laughs> me have me have problems with me speech. Don't yeah, believe no, her. Um, she's very talented. She's got an incredible voice. Yes, she does. Yes, she this does. True. Oh, thanks. I I think I sound like a like an anthropomorphic mouse, but thank you. <laughs> Everyone needs that. <laughs> hey, look, look. There's there's a role for all of us. Like right now, I'm like watching um, uh, a a C drama, Chinese drama, uh, Word of Honor, and like just like l- like listening to like dubbed voices that don't correspond at all to like the actor who's playing the, the role. Uh, like, yeah, wow. You know, how, like in, like in China, they're like, you know what? Why would we even try to record audio on site? That's expensive, and there's it's noisy. <laughs> we'll do everything post. Do you guys just like say your lines? Not going to be recorded, and we'll just have like maybe it'll be you, maybe it'll be somebody else dubbing your voice. I don't no know. No one's ever going to know the difference. 
Yeah, like un, an untamed, right? The the character uh, uh, <laughs> Wang Chi, like the the actor in real life, I can't think of his name right now. He's got a nice little like lilting, sweet like voice, and the character in the show is like, "Hey, hey, stop that shit! What's going on with nice. you?" And you're like, yeah. I mean, the, the character needs that voice. He needs mm-hmm. to be able to say to to, to his significant other Wei Wushen, you know, you know, weighing stop. He, he, like he needs to. It can't be like. Wait, wing, we stop. Come on. It just like, it really works. <laughs> well, yeah, anyway. I will say I have that in my favor. I am actually Spanish speaking first, so. Está muy bien. Siempre hace falta que alguien hable español. Aaron, on the other hand, Aaron, Aaron needs more. I need help. More help with Spanish, yeah. But I okay. do because like, because growing up, my mom refused to teach it to me because she got made fun of for not being English. Exactly, first. and this and this that. is an experience that a lot of Latinx people have. Um, and I'm um, running into so I, many of them now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's really common. Um, and I, I always tell people don't don't feel bad about it. It's just like the way. It is. I mean, oh, feel but angry I do about it. But feel especially. But I mean, feel. I I, I tell people you. Maybe feeling feeling pissed off is is better than beating mm-hmm. yourself up because you didn't have any choice in that. The system yeah. that you live in that treated your mom in a way that helped that that made her think my kid would be better off not suffering through this. That's that's what needs to be damned, overturned and and reformulated. Well, so. thank you. Well, before we let you go, I have a message from uh, Alberto. Oh, okay. To, what does he say to you? He said, "I have never watched anything on Twitch before." So I failed miserably at leaving a comment, but please say hello to David for me and congrats. <laughs> Thank you, Alberto. Gracias. Gracias, Alberto. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> but he tried. Guys, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no. Hey, I've never used Twitch ever. So I like I'm even less of. Yeah. I Everybody learned again. something today. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, thank not, you so much. It's been a dream having you on. I want to have you on again someday soon. Absolutely, whenever, guys. I'm I'm just sitting here writing away. That's easy then, enough for me to hop on when you guys. Obsidian Codex drops when? Let folks know next week. Yeah, he said. December, yeah, next week on Monday, December fourteenth. The first two episodes. So you'll, February. Each one, each one is roughly twenty minutes. So February fourteenth on all the like iTunes, uh, Stitch, yeah, all the iTunes, Spotify, Stitch, all that kind of stuff. Right. So great. All right. Already Take care. Subscribed. David, thank you, man. Thank you for coming on. Get some sleep. I know it's later mm-hmm. where you're at, so get some rest, my friend. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You guys take care. Bye-bye. You too. too. Bye-bye. Good meeting you. Nos vemos. Bye. Adios. Adios. He's just the best, right? Yes. He's pretty great. He's yes. pretty great. I know I'm biased. I met him a few years ago, and he left a... Clearly, he left a massive imprint on me, so... No, no, he's he's very charming. Bean has that look of like, oh, Aaron, you sweet spirit. Well, you know, we know you're thirsty. Um, No, 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 I liked him. He was a lot of fun. Wait a minute, what does that mean? Wow. 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 Okay. For for friendship socializing. I do find him handsome, but I don't know. You don't have to drop dirt on me. Sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't. Is it, is it not allowed to use thirsty in an in a in a non sexual way? I thought that was the yeah, only I way it got so. used. It's strictly yeah. strictly for sex stuff. It's, yeah. yeah, it's a okay. thirsty is sex only. Uh, it, it, 
if nothing else, it's in a very, um, it's not for a friendship. <laughs> okay. It, so what is the, what is the friendship equivalent of thirsty? Inspiring. I found him very inspiring. <laughs> um, no, and no, seriously, yes. during season I, I, of Ruha, I have sent him many of like, hey, is this how you would say this in the wall? Yes, yes, you've mentioned. Um, yeah. No, it's it's good to have a resource like that. And that's like mm-hmm. one of the many wonderful connections you made by participating in the Mexiconx initiative. Um, Pretty sure I can trace my entire modern career that fucking convention. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. mean that in a bad way, but like that just was what happened. You uh, you were very. Um... It was a very empowering weekend, also. Yeah, I I, I'm I had a lot of word. happy crying that weekend. You can come up with effervescent. You were very effervescent after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that entire so. weekend and and expounded in great detail about how it was life changing. So mm-hmm. I'm glad. Norm would like to say tonight on Thirst Thirst Corner with Bean and Aaron. I don't know mm-hmm. what Norm's saying. But Ina um, said, "Thirsty is mostly sexual." Very Almost well, entirely. Very well. Um, I don't know. I don't talk good today. Remember? That's right. That's fine. Um, I I will say that I I do appreciate, and I think Denise will also appreciate that we have yet one more person to add to the. Who does Aaron drunk text to? Club. <laughs> I don't drunk text him. I drunk Twitter DM him. Sure. That's same. not better. It's the same. To be fair. To be fair. To be fair. Uh, he replies and also does the same thing. Sure. Yeah. No, I've been, also, I've been how learning. dare both of you? How dare you? How yeah, dare you? you're shocked. You're totally shocked. I can tell. Well, what's well, next um, on the show? The next we have, a, I have an interview with uh, Lee Ann Kerr, who is the writer and director of the horror film Student Body, which dropped today. And we're going to review it next week, though. I've seen it. I don't know if either of you have seen it. I know we're not going to have cable next week. That's correct. I haven't watched it yet. I, yeah. I will be watching it. Um, I just posted a link to the IMDb page for mm-hmm. uh, Student Body. And um, this is her first feature film. Mm-hmm. So. so I'm interested in watching it. I'll send you some notes at least that you can talk okay, about. Great, because but... I don't know if Denise and I are going to have another co-host. It may just be her and I next week. Okay. Who knows? It's not like there isn't a list of people that are always going. Hey, if you need someone, I mean, That's there true. is. Yes, I know there. Is. Oh, that was sarcasm. <laughs> Sorry. But I tell you guys that when I had a cocktail, Jed made me one with like four shots. Mm-hmm. I remember. Bless your heart. Um, so what should we do? Should we do some banter or roll into the interview? D- let's go ahead and post up the interview. And then okay. we can chat afterwards. I don't know how this works. I don't, I mean, I'm going to fire it off, but then I don't know if it's going to mute all of us. I don't know if we can talk while well, she's Well, we can talking. mute ourselves. Yeah. I can do that right now. All right. All right. Ready? So yeah. here we go. My interview with Leanne Kerr, the writer and director of uh, Student Body, a horror film. Before we get to my interview with writer and director Leanne Kerr, this would be a great time to talk about our sponsors. 
First up, of course, is Guardian Games. They have been with us since day one, so you should be with them. Check them out over at 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. Um, they have a whole new selection of two-player-only games. I know sometimes like that's the hardest thing to find. Um, I know we have a problem finding two-player games, uh, especially in these times. It's hard to get more than two players together to play a board game. Uh, but Guardian has that, and you know the folks who work at Guardian can help you narrow down just what kind of two-player game you want. I mean, it's pretty easy to always have like head-to-head, you know, competitive games. But you know they have cooperative games too. Sometimes it's fun to work together and not against in a two-player game. And Guardian Games is the place to find them and the folks that will help you find them. Uh, and speaking of uh, cool folks and whatever, uh, a big shout out to uh, one of our listeners for popping into Guardian Games and uh, thanking them for being a sponsor after making a pretty large or sizable purchase. That's cool. Uh, if that sounds completely mercenary to you, it's because it kind of is. Um, but it's always good to let a sponsor know that uh, you heard about them on a show that you enjoy and it just helps spread the word and it helps prove that uh, advertising on a podcast is a much smarter way to go than just like the regular radio or something like that because you've got a dedicated audience like the dedicated folks at Guardian Games. <laughs> 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. And before we get to the show, I'm going to mention Bridge City Comics. Uh, they are one of the city's greatest comic book shops. You can find them at 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon, in the Great Mississippi District. Uh, once again, Bridge City Comics is up for the uh, PDX Parents Pick for Best Comic Book Shop of 2022. So pop on over to uh, facebook.com forward slash Bridge City Comics and you can find out how you can give your vote to pick Bridge City Comics as the Parents Picks for PDX. So many P's there and not a wind blocker on my mic. So good luck me. Um, <laughs> but it's more than that. You can also get some of the, your favorite books there. Remember that uh, Saga is back to get your copy at Bridge City Comics. And while you're there, you know, put in your hold or your reservation for Season of the Bruja Issue 1. That would be really cool, too. Uh, and it can all happen at Bridge City Comics. 3725 North Mississippi Avenue or BridgeCityComics.com. With you and uh, whatnot, for those who are just joining in, we have uh, Leanne Kerr on the show. She is the writer and director of the new film Student Body. Um, hi, thanks for joining us. Hi, great to be here, Aaron. Yeah, I just, I mean, this is the second time this morning I watched the film. Um, oh, wow. I, yeah, no, and I, I definitely having fun with it. It kind of very much gave me, you know, like the high school horror vibes that I used to love, you know, <laughs> when, that, when that was my jam. So it was kind of nice to see some of that. Can you give us like the inspiration behind the film? Sure, Aaron. Um, yeah, I had, you know, a, I guess in some ways a typical high school, middle school experience where I felt kind of like a social outsider. I felt like I was trying to find that group of friends and trying to find my place socially. And then at the same time, I felt an immense pressure to achieve achieve academically, achieve in my extracurriculars. And so I really, with the character of Jane in Student Body, wanted to um, show her as being, you know, pulled in these two directions of this 
you know, desire to be a part of this group of friends, a desire to reconnect with her childhood best friend and to be part of that and to be accepted. And at the same time, having this teacher that wants her to perform and want her to be her best and is um, a bit aggressive on that front and how those pressures can be really scary and they can lead to a lot of anxiety. And I wanted to, you know, have the horror elements be an extrapolation of those very real fears of not being good enough at that age. Yeah, no, and I can, I definitely, you know, see and feel that, you know, while I'm I'm watching, watching the film, Um, like almost every, every one of her friends from upon viewing it is like an element of one of her anxieties or pressures that's pushing and pulling on her while not letting herself have her own identity yet, you know, as she's still discovering herself. I think that's a great observation, Aaron. I feel like for, you know, the one friend, it's, am I funny enough? Am I tough enough? Am I cool Mm. enough? Am I like rebellious enough? I think that's a good observation that they're all kind of representing factions of herself that she maybe wishes she was more of and is kind of looking at them as this, you know, we have this opening one of the opening shots of the film is the slow-mo catwalk of the friends walking towards her. And I just wanted them to feel so glamorous and so just like amazing in her eyes and just mm-hmm. see that longing on her face of if only I could be one of them, which I think is, you know, hopefully something um, audience members will connect with from those years. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that because when, when, when I first saw it, you know, my brain kind of went to those films where, you know, the, she is the outcast and wants to be a part of them. But I like the little spin you put is that she is part of them. She is friends with them. Mm-hmm. And yet still doesn't feel like, you know, I, I could, unless I'm wrong, feels like she still isn't enough to yeah. be worthy of their friendship, which ends up being interesting as the story progresses. You find out that that opinion is not necessarily true. You're absolutely right. I think um, that was something I definitely experienced in those years where you feel like you're in the group, but you're constantly that's where the anxiety can come from is questioning, like, am I actually cool enough to hang out with these people? Or are they just going to kind of like leave me by the wayside? So I think her and the kind of choices she makes in terms of, you know, trying to see if they can get a retake on their test and, you know, trying to see if, oh, I can, I can do this stuff so we can play this prank and break into school. It's kind of like, oh, I need to solidify my position. And so I think with high school, so much of it is power play. And that can be really um, overwhelming, especially when you're trying to also be good at school and impress your teachers. It's a lot to handle. Yeah, no. And and it feels like she's like, it, it definitely is a lot to handle. And it's like, she's, everyone's trying to impose their on her mm. um is that uh, that seems to be a thing that runs throughout the entire film from even just the personal interactions at the beginning to when like you know you know the, the crap really hits the fan and whatnot it's still outside forces trying to exert themselves on her can you talk a little bit about like the evolution of her being externally driven to eventually when we reach a more internal moment for her yeah that's a great observation Aaron. i think So much of what I wanted to talk about was the difficulty of finding your own sense of agency at that age and finding that sense of autonomy from more assertive personalities that are trying to mold you and form you and how that can be really difficult to do. And I think for me, it's Jane's journey where at the beginning of the story, 
the way I kind of thought about it and talked about it with my actor, Monse, is that she's afraid to take up space. She's afraid to exert her own will. And so other people are exerting theirs upon her. And so for me, it's her journey of learning to be assertive in her own way and show her own autonomy. And then, you know, that leads to certain events. I think that her story is ultimately a bit tragic without giving any specifics away. There's a tragedy to that where when you do finally reach that point to be autonomous and to do things, um, things can maybe tip a little too far in the other direction. Um, and, you know, trying to make up for the fact that you were passive before. Um, so yeah, I think that's definitely part of the journey that was important to me was little by little, how can she start to um, do what she feels in her own gut is right, as opposed to catering to the people around her who want things from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it definitely shows and you see the growth. And again, we can't go into like how it ends, <laughs> uh, but you know, the growth is definitely, is definitely there. And it's, you know, in, in only the best ways that horror movies kind of show growth in that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, how did you go about like the casting of the film? Like what made you pick each individual performer and think like, they're going to, they're going to bring out what I want in this character. Were there elements you were looking for or were you trying to kind of go against type a little bit? That's a great question. So I think um, Christian Camargo, who plays um, Mr. Onspock, the teacher, he was someone who was always at the very top of my list from the very beginning. I was very familiar with his work, both on stage and in film, and just knew he would bring that right mix of, you know, having the ability to make your hair stand on end, but then also bringing like a groundedness and like a rhetorical sensibleness to the point where I wanted the audience to listen to what he had to say to Jane and to Mm -hmm. have part of them be like, oh, maybe he's a little bit right. I don't like his methods and he's obviously a little alarming, but maybe he's a little bit right about her. So he brought that perfect mix. So we were excited to just have him accept the role. And then for the five teens, that was more of like a robust auditioning process. And I think for me, um, overall, with all five of them, I think that they're all characters that, especially with the other four, are trying to compensate for their own vulnerabilities, their own fears. Whereas Jane, you know, her fears are a little more on her sleeve. We can tell she's dealing with a lot of anxieties. The other Mm -hmm. four are as well, even though they're better at hiding it. And so- For all five of them, it was important to find actors when they came in to read and to work and the casting days where I could see that beneath the layers of coolness, like there was that little bit of them that was still vulnerable and a little scared and that had that soft place because I think all of them, no matter how cool they are, like all of them (laughs) end up going to a more vulnerable softer maybe in some places angrier place but it's all they kind of get ripped open a bit each one of them um even french austin zazier who's from scary stories to tell in the dark is such a beautifully wonderful comedic actor but even he gets a little moment of he just isn't living up to what he wishes he could be and the person that he thinks he should be um and i just think when we were casting all five of those actors showed that that softness that that I think all teenagers have that they work so hard to hide. Um, so overall, that was the big thing I was looking for. That's great. And I could, I could almost imagine the audition process itself kind of creates that for you because even though they're trying to present as, you know, professional and I got this, like those butterflies never go away during the audition process. You're always thinking like, did I do something wrong? Am I standing wrong? You know, stuff like that kind of brought out some of it too. Completely. And it's interesting. Um, this isn't giving away plot spoilers. There's a very main um, pivotal scene between 
Christian Camargo's character and Monse's characters of Jane and Ansbach very early on in the story where she confronts him after school and they have this whole conversation. And we just, um, we, uh, I, in, along with my line producer, decided to shoot that on day one. It was a huge scene. It was very pivotal. And my um, actress, Monse, plays the lead. She, she's so incredibly gifted and so, so talented. But I loved having the natural butterflies of mm -hmm. day one of shooting come into that scene. Um, so I was just thought it was really fun that we just like threw her right in and was like, okay, you're going with, with Christian, you're doing it. <laughs> and you could feel like the natural like, ah, uh, of it, which just works so well with the scene. Yeah, that that awkwardness and tension was definitely there. So it, it well done, you pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to like quick move to like the actual filming of it in, in terms of like, like far too often horror movies can get really exploitive in how they show, you know, kill scenes or, or however, were there moments where you wanted to push it a bit more and then decided to reel back or were there actual times where you wished you'd maybe pushed it a little bit more? Actually not. Um, it's an interesting question that you bring up. And there are certainly, you know, people who have expectations of the slasher genre that are going to be looking for a certain amount of violence. Um, I was actually very inspired by Lynn Ramsey's film, You Were Never Really Here, um, mm -hmm. which is an incredible film that is actually full of a lot of violence. Um, but you, she very deliberately doesn't show a lot of it. And I think um, for me, it was a balance between... Um, knowing when to just go for it and show that and have possibly like a, a cathartic moment that is in fact violent and then also to be really cognizant that for me the ethos of the film is that these are not just kids that are cannon fodder or for the meat grinder if you will um I really with the approach of like a slower burn for the first half and then introducing more genre elements in the second half wanted the audience to really connect with these people and their relationships and I wanted to treat them in a non-exploitive way when they do things end up happening to some of them. Um, no spoilers, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to be judicious about when I show violence, when I show harm, um, or when it's implication. And sometimes the implication can be even more horrifying than the actual event. So I think for certain moments of violence, it is definitely more of a masking and an implication and letting the imagination fill in that gap. And also you know show, maintaining a humanity for the characters so that they don't just become um vehicles for crazy kills and there's a place for that and there are films that do that and that's wonderful um certainly not um lambasting them but for this film I wanted to maintain that you know these are young people and that in real life schools can be extremely dangerous and kids die in schools now um mm -hmm. so I wanted to be cognizant of that but then, you know, also um, letting there be a couple moments in the film where we do see that violence and we see what the reality of what is happening occur on screen. Yeah, and I and I really appreciate a lot of, you know, certain some of the tropes to genres to split all of your main characters up. And in Student Body, that doesn't really seem to happen. Uh, and it's an interesting mix of. And again, I want to get like too many spoilers, but they're like there's a there's like a peeling of layers as the main character grows. And your main characters almost kind of personify certain elements of her layers and that allow her to grow, but in, you know, more darker ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, I really 
uh, grew up loving Mousetrap by Agatha Christie and loving a lot of like murder mysteries where all the characters are stuck in a space together and the play No Exit where they're all just like have to deal with each other Mm -hmm. and how that can get dark fast. So I was more interested in like the pressure cooker environment of them dealing with one another and their personalities as things escalate and ramp up as opposed to like let's split up and we'll get out better that way. Like, I don't know. No one's ever also like, that's like a tough thing, a tough sell unless it's Cabin in the Woods and it's deliberately calling attention to it. So, yeah. I mean, I do like, you kind of remove that almost immediately by very much setting up that once the school locks down, there's no getting out. Prevents it like, why don't they just leave? Like, I like that. I always like setting that up really early. So the audience never thinks like, why are they still here? Um, Yes. So I know we've only got a few minutes left here. Uh, can you talk about where uh, where folks can find the film and where it's available at? Yes, of course. I'm so <laughs> excited for people to watch. So Student Body is available on streaming and video on demand platforms starting on Tuesday, February 8th. It'll be available um, for pre-order. It's currently available to purchase for pre-order, which would be awesome. Everyone should pre-order it. Um, <laughs> it's available on Amazon, uh, Apple TV, and also iTunes. And it'll be out on, I believe, like Google Play and further platforms on the 8th. So um, as of now, that's where you can rent and stream it. And we're very excited. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I definitely recommend it. And uh, we'll put a link on our site and make sure our fans have a chance to check it out. Um, what's uh, Is there anything you can talk about that's coming up next? Now, you've already, <laughs> now, you, now that you've kind of, you know, gotten the horror, is there what, uh, other films you have planned next or ideas? The next one is uh, still coming of age horror, um, but it's a ghost. It's a ghost story. So uh, uh, ghost oh, nice. stories are terrifying to me. I don't know if I'll ever get to watch The Conjuring. It scares the crap out of me. But that's why I wanted to. I like. Uh, I like making movies about things that really, really frighten me. Um, it's cathartic in a way. So uh, hopefully, you know, getting the next one underway, which is a ghost ghost movie, and then also working on a, a graphic novel script for a coming of age fantasy story. So um, oh, nice. I do. Staying in that comic writing, so I know that world a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Staying in that young adult coming of age story, but using a genre to tell it is kind of my um, favorite thing. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Well, I had a lot of fun with Student Body, uh, Leon Kerr. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Aaron. Yeah, I had a great time chatting with you. Yeah, me too. All right. Unmute. There we are. <laughs> Had a conversation with uh, Leanne Kerr talking about Student Body, her new film that is opening today uh, on all online forums. It's, it's tonight. So that was a well done interview, Aaron. Thank you. Um, um, I actually accidentally sat in on the next ten minutes of her next interview because mm. I didn't realize that she was doing like junket style. Oh. Oh, whoops. So I was like muted and quiet in the background. I didn't turn off. And so long story short, Geek and City Radio does good interviews. <laughs> Other sites don't. Um, I have that unbiased opinion from before I was a part of Geek and the City Radio. Mm-hmm. Largely because you you made a practice of well, these are the 15 questions that everyone else is going to ask. I don't want to ask those because I don't care it, about that. I don't want to ask questions. I'm going to get, I want to get to know the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Even if the filmmaker, little humble brag, even if the filmmaker is fucking Jerry Seinfeld, I don't want to talk about B-movie. I want to talk about mm-hmm. what you like. 
which is why when way back in the day, when Scott Dowling and I had a chance to interview Seinfeld, we didn't talk about B movie. Mm-hmm. We talked about why he loves Superman and what would his Superman story be? Which by the way, was his American express commercials. That's his Superman story <laughs> with him and putty. What? His American Express commercial? So, so Jerry, mm-hmm. so Seinfeld about, oh my God, 13 years ago, did American Express commercials with the guy who plays Putty in Seinfeld, who's the tick? The first mm-hmm. tick. Uh, Patrick Warburton. Patrick Warburton as Superman. Seinfeld did those commercials for American Express where Patrick Warburton was Superman and Jerry was Jerry. So like there's an episode where like Jerry gets he like he drops a VCR that he bought and soup and Patrick Warburton's like, You want me to you want me to fly around the earth and rewind time so you don't have to drop the VCR? And Jerry's like, No. Don't rewind time. No one likes it when you rewind time. It's really easy, Jerry. I can do it. It it, it takes like three minutes. Don't do it. It throws everything off. I'll just buy a new VCR. Because I have American Express insurance. Like, that's what mm-hmm. it was. And, and Super is huh. like, all right, whatever. Seems kind of dumb. <laughs> I could do it. I could do it. Seems so, kind of dumb. So everyone else in that, like, junket is interviewing him about, like, Seinfeld. They're like, when's Seinfeld getting back together? And Jerry was like, Seinfeld never went away. Like, it's on every night on some channel. Like, you could watch us. Um, I will never fucking forget... This is around the era where Mel Gibson was calling women sugar tits and was mm-hmm. having his full-on breakdown. Mm-hmm. And the film critic from the Christian Science Monitor, oh, and I'll never fucking forget this, said, Jerry, since you're basically the Mel Gibson of comedy, and everyone at the junket went, whoa. And myself and Scott Daly, having no care about decorum, went, you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Everyone else went, oh, Scott and I are like, you fucking kidding me? What the hell? Um, Anyway, everyone else asked Jerry about B-movie or Seinfeld. And his manager got to us and we're like... So, B movie's great. Whatever, fun movie. We love the show. You want to talk about Superman? And every other critic on the table looked at us like these fucking nerds. Motherfucking Seinfeld talked to us for twenty five minutes. <laughs> twenty five minutes. Then we got pulled aside after the junket by Jerry and his handler saying, uh, "I just want to let you know that Jerry said you two were the greatest interview he has had." On this entire junket. <laughs> and whatever you guys want, Jerry will give it to you. And we're like, yeah. And then the thing we asked him was like, what's your favorite Star Wars moment? <laughs> and Jerry went, the part in Empire where that guy goes, pew, pew, pew. And we're like, great. Okay, well, that's a long way to say the Geek in the City has a long history of never asking the questions that anybody else asks. Mm-hmm. I know this. Yes. Not everyone who listens has heard these stories. Um, so I I saw Student Body. We're going to review it next week, right? Yeah, we'll do that next week. Okay. Uh, we're not going to have cable, so 
Uh, it's hey, nothing nefarious. You... We have I have a company party for no 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 I know like if you want to like, if you want to like email us your thoughts so I will ah. I will do that. Uh, I I've already watched it. Although now I kind of wish I'd waited till after the interview to watch it. Maybe I'll try to watch it again now that it's it available again. publicly. I watched before and after her interview, and in full disclosure, I enjoyed it more after her interview. I think that I, I, I think that when you know what the you know auteur is trying to convey, or what sort of thoughts and feelings and experiences go into the story that they tell, mm-hmm. yeah, you just like enjoy it that much more deeply. You can understand it that much more thoroughly. Yeah, and, uh, I sort of like I didn't completely check out, but I sort of checked out during the uh, while yeah. And full disclosure, everybody, this was a pre-recorded interview. Yeah, um, so that I like I will still go into watching this blind, and then after I watch it, I'm going to listen to her interview again and probably give it another watch. So I, yeah. I'm excited. Uh, also, I want to give a shout out to a friend of the show, Martin Vavra. He mm-hmm. is why uh, we have this interview. Thank you, Martin. And also, uh, our condolences to Martin. Uh, he had a yeah. rough week last week. Uh, he had to say goodbye to two of his pups within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And I have been there. That, that's and all of his pups, by the way. All of his pups. Uh, of they them. were great. Uh, Alaska, they were like huskies slash Malamutes. Great pups. I have met them. Big, Good beautiful doggos. Dogs. Beautiful dogs. And having been blindsided by a pup who seems healthy and then the night they quit being healthy like they start to pant they're in pain and you take them to the vet the next day and the vet's like yeah um we can't fix them mm-hmm. all we can do is lessen their pain as they go to the rainbow bridge um i had been there so a, a big thanks to martin for connecting me with the crew and also our our sympathies. That's it's a shitty. It's a shitty, it makes for a shitty time, man. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no soft sell in it, you know. So <clears throat> anyway, yeah. So uh, we have a short time left. Do we want we, to talk about can, Avatar at all? We can try. I only watched the first two of this week. I ran out of time. Let's do the first two then. Okay, because I re- I'm in full disclosure. I'm in full promo mode for season of the Bruja. Shocking. Which means <laughs> no, it's good. It means I'm I'm talking to people like that's taking up a lot of my time right now, which is good. Uh, uh, I think that that works fine though, because episodes seven and eight are sort of their own arc, and episodes mm-hmm. five and six are separate from that. So yeah. All right. So yeah, cable, take it away. I guess. Um, so, uh, episodes five and six are kind of standalone episodes each. Um, the first is, you need the ban hammer over on YouTube, by the way. Um, I already did. Okay, good. Uh, one oh, is... Oh, God damn it, that's a new one. All right. The, Ang, Katara, and Soka all venture forth into the Earth Kingdom. Um, in the first episode, they visit, uh, a the main city where uh, Ang had been previously and reunites unknowingly with an old friend of his from who's 
also 112 years old <laughs> and somehow <laughs> still alive, the Mad King of the Earth Kingdom. And they just, it's cutesy, and you kind of see all of it coming because um, he runs them through tests to make sure that he can really – he's like, you need to be the avatar. You need to think outside of the box. And it's mm-hmm. a neat way to teach kids. Don't just do what you're told. Think outside of the box. The second episode also takes place in the Earth Kingdom and kind of covers Katara's um, political beliefs and and she tries to rally people to shake off their bonds and break out of uh, a, a concentration camp that the Fire Nation is holding them in. And that was the episode that I went... Which is really awkward, by the way, for who runs the concentration camp. Yeah. So I texted both of you this after I watched it. And I'm like... I forgot about this part. So the person running the concept, the warden of the camp is voiced by George Takei. And for like the six people who don't know George Takei's history, he spent some of his childhood in the internment camps here in America for Japanese Americans. So to have him play this part and play it as like, it's like, oh, you're you're playing him as if you had been given the role of Gul Dukat. That's amazing. <laughs> I was thinking that too. I was yeah. like, very arch. <laughs> I was at first really, in a weird way, kind of offended that George Takai would accept this role. And then about twenty minutes in, I was like, I get what he's doing. I, I get. I, it's fucked up, but I get what he's doing. I got what he was doing, but it, it still on paper, when you bring this forth and you're going, Hey, we want to cast this role. Let's approach George Takei. How do you, how do you do those mental gymnastics where you're like, is he going to say yes? Is he going to be pissed? Um, how is I, this honestly, I think you approach it honestly, mm-hmm. pretty easily. I think if you're writing this, and you know that you're writing a story that involves concentration camps with a series that, even though by cable, your own admission, is a world that isn't Earth. Because you've talked about before about Avatar is not Earth. And, but And this is still can, my issue with the show. Yeah, but you can still recognize elements that Avatar pulls from Earth. You know, I feel like if you approach George Takei... Takei properly he goes you want me to play our jailers Mm -hmm. and the writers say yeah but let me tell you why and they tell him why and he goes okay like he draws upon his own experience as someone who grew up and was a child during the in the camps in in the west coast of the united states and goes I can find something in this because mm-hmm. I think in the end, as much as George K is whatever you see him now on Instagram, georgek.com, whatever he's uh, 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 blue, not he like he's, he's a persona now mm-hmm. his heart in his heart. He still has a purpose. He still has mm-hmm. a message to tell. And I think he saw within these episodes of avatar of like, I can reach children I can show them in the most unobtrusive way, at least an opening of their past. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to scar him. I don't want to be a dickhead and be like, everything was awful. But I can give them an opening to explore. He he provided them with a version of of a camp warden that you can look at and go, oh, I can hear every word he's saying. He's still a bad guy. And I get yeah. that he's a bad guy. And you can get that if you're 10. <coughs> Going, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Bad guy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He exactly. says nice things. Still a bad guy. Yep. And there um, he goes. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, well, if, if there's one thing we know about Dave Filoni in the year 2022 is that he is – he has always been really good at, you know, taking a really shitty concept and and maybe not always putting it on its head, but bringing it to light in a very, in a way that um, is not like pandering or like. Yeah. And that was like, a not, like, directed episode. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not like spoon feeding it to you, but he is making you aware. Yeah, it is about accessibility. Yeah. And and again, like Takei's performance is kind of over the top. In a, in a, you know, he's he's deliberate. He's having his way with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's actually in a weird way not to get too deep on this. Uh, Dave Filoni acknowledging his own ethnicity and then pushing past it is actually really interesting. Uh, by his own admission, Dave Filoni is uh, half Italian and then for the most part Croatian and then English. Um, it's interesting in the fact that in America, in the in America's past, Italians were not white. That's true. Uh, up until the 1930s, Italians, they were European, but not white. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were hated, actually. Uh, Italians didn't become white until post-World War II. Um, and it wasn't that they stopped being white in terms of uh, white supremacy in America. White supremacy decided to pull them in as white. Um, and it's interesting that whether he is doing it intentionally or not, Filoni, from a narrative standpoint, is kind of exploiting that. He kind of knows. And he works that into the stories. Hmm. Which I think, in the long term, in a weird way, also explains George Takei. Um, Especially when you start to talk about the whole concept as the model Asian. Uh, Italians quit... The model minority myth. Yeah, Italians were a minority until about 1930. Uh, well, post World War II, American Italians overnight became white, and from that, you could argue, then led into the whole concept of the model minority, which would be Japanese Americans, Asian Americans, Asian Americans. Yeah, you're right. Not just Japanese Americans. Yeah, yeah, because it homogenized that entire Mm -hmm. part of the world. Mm -hmm. I think that the model minority uh, gets saddled very squarely on the backs of Chinese Americans a lot. Um, 
and then Japanese Americans, because Chinese Americans were still, uh, this gets into the back and forth of like Chinese Americans or the Chinese could not become American citizens until like the 1940s, 1950s. Yeah, until after the uh, Chinese American, uh, the Chinese Immigration Act, right? Yeah, because the Exclusion Act kept them from being Americans. They, they could but, build the West Coast. They just couldn't be American. Correct. But there was always that back and forth between which, like, we accept the Chinese. Now we accept the Japanese. Now we accept the Chinese again. Now we, we accept the Japanese again. And, and it, yeah. Yeah. It, it, which, it's got even worse like, in Viet, which got even worse in Vietnam because then it was Vietnamese, Laotian. Yeah. That, yeah. And then, and then it all comes down to Seattle, which is a whole, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. America's dumb. <laughs> yes. Um, well, the point of the Avatar. show is America's yeah. dumb. I mean, dumb in, in the asshole sense, but not dumb in the opportunistic sense. Correct, you're right, Bean. Yes, any 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 time that a that a uh, an ethnic or racial minority uh, can be of use, we're more than welcome, but only until yeah. that usefulness has run its course. So Chinese can build the railroads, Mexicans can pick the crops, but they can't vote. You can build the country, just don't lead the country, or stay once it's or stay once the work mm -hmm. is whatever. Done. Yeah. Anyway, back to Avatar. Back to Avatar. <laughs> Sorry. So those are kind of those two episodes in a nutshell. Um, I'm still... After actually... Like, I watched um, episodes five through eight. I'm... Mm -hmm. Like, I will give it the... Like, I will watch the entire series. I'm giving it to... I'm definitely on board now, for sure. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> oh my I'm god, still, really? Yeah, I'm, because still, I'm the one who wasn't sold. I thought you'd be sold before I was. I'm still reconciling uh, Planet Asia, quite honestly. Mm. Okay, um, fair. And I think maybe I I'm used to more. there never being a planet um, Latinx because it's never been done before, ever. Um, I mean, Bean, can you think of a series that has been central? That, that is Mexiland? Yeah. And, like, Encanto doesn't count. I love Encanto, but it's one family. It's not a region. Mm -hmm. no, and, it's yeah, and, and it is specifically meant to be a representation <clears throat> concept, the story. Uh, that's not the same as what Cable is saying. It's like, okay, yeah. some some, some non-Asian people got together and created a world that is basically Asian people, but mm -hmm. but not technically, because it's a different world. Um, no, we which, don't have that. Which but, is weird, because, like, Cable, you have a problem with that. <laughs> Me, personally, if someone who was Latinx in background said, like, hey, I'm creating... I'm creating Latino land with these characters. Like, it'd be hard for me to be annoyed at, but like, yes, Brown Town. So, but then I'd be someone, like, but someone but is I'm, doing that. And we have to figure out how to get them on the podcast. Uh, I'm right here, actually. Uh, season of Bruja comes out March 16th. 
I was actually referring to this is all true. And, also, and, David. And David. Yeah. Yes. Um, Al Madrigal. Who the fuck is that? From We've talked Daily about show. this. Yeah. Actually, I'm not mad. Who is that? Al Madrigal from The Daily Show. He was. He's one of their correspondents. Oh yeah. Um, he's also we a comedian and actor. He is writing a comic book series that is essentially Mexicans from another planet who end up coming to Earth to be superheroes. Oh, we, God damn it. Yes. I wrote a comic where Mexicans from Earth go to other planets to be superheroes. <laughs> like like Superman. But mm-hmm. from, no, yeah. literally in that Mexicans. So I wrote I have an outline. I actually have a fucking outline about Mexicans never originated from Earth. We originated from Mars. Mm. That is where we're from. So Mars is space Mexico. <laughs> For lack of a better term, um, yeah, no, I that, I have written that, and I want to do more of that and do the Justice League of America. Mm-hmm. But it's a justice. It's 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 JLM Justice League Mars, and I want Terry. I want Terry Bloss to write it to draw with me, and we write together, and we do it. That sounds great. Yep, there he is. Sorry. I got nothing beyond that. I think. Yeah, I I, I get what you're saying, though. Like. And and then he's gone again. Oh, there you go. I I was going to say. It it, it was a big hit in my head. I didn't want to cough on screen. Oh, okay. Um, The. Like the. The same. The issue that I have with Avatar kind of crosses over when you start talking about Raya and the Last Dragon, which is another... It's like, everyone's so excited about this. It's like, there's so much representation of Asia and doing this. It's like, mm-hmm, all of that's true. All of it's great. I, it, yeah. I love all of this. It's also Planet of the Asians. <laughs> <coughs> well, people forget that, like, I love Raya and the Last Dragon. I actually think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful film. I love Shang-Chi. All mm-hmm. of it is beautiful. But to do, quote, the Asian myth Disney story, I feel like, especially in the West, people forget that Asia is like one third of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that there are so many subcultures within that statement that it's like, yeah, you can enjoy it, but realize that, like, you're not, you're only appeasing a fraction of the people. Mm-hmm. So you have to let everybody in. It's like when someone says, like, oh, I'm doing the definitive, you know, a Latinx movie. I'm like, really? How? Are you covering from Arizona to fucking the tip of Argentina? You're, yeah. Are you covering the entire fucking southwestern hemisphere? You're not a monolith. No, we're not Asia, a monolith. Yeah. Beat and I have different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. We're both Mexican American. We have very different backgrounds. Here, she and I have talked about this privately. Like, my family comes from the Yucatan, and I think being you said you are from Central Mexico City, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we're both Mexican American. 
we are so fucking different. <laughs> we're so different. Everything about us is different. Other than we're both from this one area of Central America that connects North America and South America. Like that's what we're that's what we have in common. Mm-hmm. And that we both have fantastic taste in music. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I think the the other thing, especially with Avatar, is Planet of the Asians becomes less offensive to me when it's made by Asians. Right. That's that's your sticking point with with Avatar right now is that it's yeah. it's not made yeah. by no, the people that fair. it's sort of representing. Yep. Fair. And I heard a lot of people explain that away when they were telling me, it's like, no, you'll really like this. It's this. I'm like, I don't, I don't know about this. So again, I get that it's a kid show and it has a different, it's trying to reach people with it, with a different voice. And I got, I get that when I'm watching prodigy or it's like, it's teaching all kinds of lessons and yeah. it's still very much Star Trek. Um, I'll admit that I'm enjoying Prodigy more than Avatar. Hmm. Right. Well, Pro- uh, Prodigy and, is a franchise yeah. that you already appreciate. And Denise, you're 100% correct. I am, I am, yeah, it's Star Trek. So I'm already lined up to love it. Yeah, you're right. I don't feel the same way that you do, Camel, about, you know, the, like, who's who's on screen versus who's behind the camera type. You know, obviously it's animated, so it's not literally right. that, but that. Um, but, again, it's not my culture that's being potentially misrepresented here. Uh, but what I did notice that kind of bothers me is when you look at the cast, it's it's pretty diverse. Like, there's there's mm-hmm. there are a goodly number of Asian people. Asian people in the cast, um, as well as people from a lot of different ethnicities and races. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the female voice actors, almost none of them are Asian. Almost all of them are Caucasian women. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't sit great with me. Um, like not even not even Katara, the the female lead character, is played by or voiced by an Asian actor. Um, it is Mae Whitman, who you know I kind of like. She's in stuff that I enjoy, um, but that is a. I think that that's a miss. That's a swing and a miss to me. Mm-hmm. I think the the two lead characters that are. Um, Asian or Pacific Islander are uh, Uncle Iroh and uh, Zuko. Uh, they're played by Mako and Dante Basco, uh, respectively. Uh huh. Yep. So, well, I think that we can pick up more Avatar stuff when I get back from my day off next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And and when Aaron remembers that he's on mute and he can start talking to us again. I didn't realize I hit mute. <laughs> I was about to agree with you, Cable, and then I've been told by many people that Avatar Season 2, because I know we're getting kind of close to that, 
relatively, is where it really kind of picks up to where mm-hmm. cable you might enjoy it more. I'm not not enjoying it. I'm just not as taken with it as I think other people expect me to be. But as Merrick has pointed out before, I do have a very bad habit of going, oh, everyone likes this. Fuck it. I hate it. Yeah. Which is, that is and true. I, and I will get full disclosure. I have watched Legend of Korra. Mm. And well, I, it. I adore it. Keep it to yourself. We're not there yet. I adore Legend of Korra. I adore it. In so many ways, I adore that show. Cool. Well, we'll talk about it more. Yeah. But not just not next week. The week no. after. So next week, uh, it'll be myself and Denise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cable, if you want to email us your thoughts on student body, I actually would like really appreciate that. I will do that. Even if you want to record stuff, and I we will upload it in the show. Oh. Oh. Now that we now that we have that technology. Oh yes, I about that. Oh yes. Um, I don't know. We're not going to do Avatar because without cable, we can't do Avatar. So I don't know what else Bean and I are going to do next week. Shit, there's been a shit ton of Star Trek Prodigy. There's been a shit ton of Boba Fett. I'm not going to feel bad if you talk about Boba Fett without me. All but right, Bean, we're, we're going. We're still all... going to talk about Boba Fett. We're going all Wars and Trek next week. Yeah. All of the stars. Mm-hmm. What if Cable and that doesn't Denise, come back yet. Yes. What if we have someone who's never been on the show before on their own as not part of something else? Go on. And by that I mean, what if we ask Denise's lovely husband Christian to join the show as a guest host? To talk about what exactly? Well, he loves Star Wars. I know he's watching the book of Boba Fett. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, even though it will be a week late, she's so annoyed right now. Myself and Christian and, of course, Greg of Building Character, we have been proper gentlemen. And we have watched the finest of jackassery. At the cinema. I'm not saying we have to talk about Jackass forever. 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 But I feel like, Denise, you have kept your husband away from the show. And I think that time has come to an end. Oh, do you? I do. I feel like he and I need to talk about... Uh, the the ribbly good-natured gentleman of a one Johnny Knoxville and a one Steve-O, where we can talk about our experiences in the town center of one Kalakamas of our experiences. And then I think maybe we can talk about Star Wars. I think he enjoys the book of said Boba Fett. And he is watching Prodigy with me also. And he is also watching Prodigy. So I feel like for you to say no, Denise, you were denying um, a white man as like all white men who have never given their chance to speak their word. You're not even giving me a chance to say yes. You're already like, I'm already in trouble for saying no. I'm preparing. Okay. What are your thoughts then? I'm obviously I now I can't stops. say no. I, I'm exactly. not allowed to say no at this point. Exactly. 
Well, I guess that's settled. Uh, Denise, <laughs> you can say no. Can say <laughs> I mean, no. he might not. I, he might not actually be available. So I one hundred percent support your agency to say <laughs> no. I don't. How about tomorrow morning? You ask me again. All right. You might, you might feel you might feel differently tomorrow. No, he won't. No, I won't. <laughs> You remember how they reacted in the theater when we saw the trailer for Jackass. Oh my god, it was so much fun! We all just looked at each other and went, what the hell is going on with these two right now? Denise, your husband, within the first 12 minutes of the movie, when we saw it, grabbed my arm and went like, my wife would divorce me. I'm so glad you're here. I mean, we're still married. You went to the movie. No, no, no. It was when we were at the movie. Okay. Myself, anyway. Christian, and and uh, and Greg of Building Character. Uh, we formed a bond that night. The bond of gentlemen at the theater. Okay. That is all I need to hear about that. How dare all of you. How dare you. How dare you. And on that note... On that note, I'm Aaron Duran. I am Peter Rita. And I'm Cable Hashitani. We'll talk to you all next week. <laughs>